everyone. Hey, Bernadette. Welcome to Stone Houses, our second stonier house. Episode two! Two stone, two houses. Amateur guide to fiction, fable, and folklore. <laughs> stone Houses 2, Electric Boogaloo. Neither of us know exactly what we're talking about, but we do a lot of research and we love this stuff, right? We absolutely do. Uh, my name is Caitlin Bruder. I'm Laura Bernadette Meeker. And we are excited to be back in the saddle. This is so exciting. We've made it to the proverbial episode two. It's the season of the ghost. Is that a thing? Season of the ghost. It is Halloween time and it is it is time. The ween time. The ween time. We are very, very excited to talk about things. And a uh, quick reminder at the top of the show that we are not experts. We are just some pals who love folklore and research and want to share what we've learned with you guys. So we are uh, talking about some spooky stuff this episode and next episode. So be prepared for that. What are we talking about this week, Bernadette? Goat man. Goatman. Goatman. <laughs> Goatman. So that being said... Uh, I would also like to give you all a little bit of a warning before we begin. Some of the stories that we're going to be telling uh, and talking about tonight are kind of creepy and at times gruesome, and it might be a little upsetting for some people. Um, but we just want to put that out there to give you the option to maybe opt out of this episode if you feel like that will make you uncomfortable in any way. Uh, it won't be the entire episode because we still have uh, history and cultural um, and other other little tidbits, but... We just want to give you forewarning that there may be some more unsettling things discussed in today's episode. So like we said, today we are talking about the Goat Man, which is a big, pretty big shift from our last episode of From Fairies, uh, since we're moving into more cryptid territory, I guess. The cryptic cryptids. <laughs> so a cryptid uh, is, for I guess most people, this is pretty, pretty uh, hot, hot topic for... I guess 2018, people are really into the cryptids. But if you need a refresher, a cryptid uh, is a creature that may be thought by some people to exist, but it's not recognized by the scientific community. Think like Bigfoot, uh, Mothman, Chupacabra, that sort of thing. Now, if I've learned anything from pop culture, it's that cryptids are down to bone. That's... <laughs> is that not an accurate reading of pop culture and cryptids at the moment? That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but uh, today, like I said, Goat Man. <laughs> goat Man. He's a goat and uh, a man. Uh, the Goat Man is a humanoid cryptid uh, described about seven feet tall, like a hybrid oh. creature, part man, part goat. Um, there are lots of different versions of this, uh, but some people might be... Some people think it might be a relative of the cryptid called the Grunch in New Orleans, Grunch. which I had to look that up because I hadn't heard of it before, but just the name made me so upset. <laughs> so the Grunch in New Orleans, if you know about that, then I, there you go. It was, uh, I guess that was supposed to be like a chupacabra type, like a scaly chupacabra. Oh, dang. It was interesting. I did a little bit of side research on that and then had to come back to Goatman because I was running out of research time. Um, but the goat man that we are talking about is not to be confused with Ches McCartney, who was a prominent wandering traveler in folklore in like the South, I believe. Uh, Ches was just an old dude who took care of goats, but he was also called the goat man. I love it. <laughs> that is not what we are talking about. Uh, the urban legends that we are going to be talking about today uh, generally talk about the goat man killing young couples uh, in like parked cars or killing pets or farm animals. No. Um, yeah. I don't care about those poor couples. <laughs> don't kill the pets uh, not everyone agrees on the form he takes there's a we'll go through later there's a lot of different variations of this story um 
but I'll, there's some versions that say he was a man who kept goats and went mad after teenagers killed his flock. Oh, no. Um, who is adamantly against children and teens. There's a version <laughs> that is, yes, he is very against, he will kill kids and no teens. teens. That's the one that usually, no teens. Uh, a ver- there's a version where a scientist is doing some experiments on goats and something goes very, very wrong. Um, yes. There's, yeah. There's some packs with the devil. There's some stuff like that. These are all across. We, I'm sure there's things that are other places, but the ones that I've looked into specifically are across the United States, specifically in uh, California, Maryland, Texas, Kentucky, uh, Pennsylvania, even. Uh, and there are some other things that we'll talk about later, and you have a whole whole different well of things to dive into, which I'm very excited to hear because you've given I me do. a little bit of a sneak peek, and I'm very excited a to see. deep, gooey the- well. Yeah, this episode's going to be a doozy. Holy goats. This is going to be a doozy, and I'm very excited to to talk about some of this stuff with you. Um, so I think if we start off in Pennsylvania, which is one of the ones, uh, the goat man in Pennsylvania is uh, titled the Waterford Sheep Man. Um, and all these will have different names for the most part, but they're all kind of recognized as a goat man. Okay. Um, the Waterford Sheepman was a creature that terrorized the small town of Waterford, Pennsylvania in like the 70s. Um, it kind of lurked in farm fields and it was uh, blamed on killing animals and ripping them apart. Uh, and there were like supposedly hundreds of people witnessed this creature. Um, and this Waterford Sheepman was also known as the Goat Man. This one, I did not uh, find a ton of these witness accounts but supposedly this was like wide swept in maryland uh the maryland goatman doesn't have a specific name but uh the maryland goatman is specifically uh an axe wielding half man half animal creature uh that in one version of the story was a sci- was the scientist that i mentioned earlier who worked in specifically the beltsville agricultural research center Whoa. um yeah, uh, supposedly the result of an, a DNA experiment that was conducted by this scientist uh, who was named, I found a name, Stephen Fletcher. Don't know if that's oh. really or not, but that was there was a name attributed to this goat man, Stephen Fletcher, who was experimenting and this went horribly awry. Um, and he began attacking cars with an axe, roaming the back roads of Beltsville, Maryland. A strongly anti-car. Yeah, very anti-car, very pro-axe was this goat man. <laughs> Um, there's a variation of this legend specifically in Maryland that uh, is the goat man as an old hermit who lives in the woods seen walking alone at night near Fletchertown Road, um, which also did make me think of maybe Chess McCartney is the goat man because that was one. (laughs) Don't know. Don't know how those are connected or uh, not because this one is just a hermit. Doesn't didn't say if it was specifically half animal, half goat, but it was, yeah, an old hermit. And then uh, the other variations of this specific strain of Goatman suggest uh, kind of a supernatural element involving the devil specifically. Um, so Old we are going to talk a little bit about why the goat was associated so heavily with the devil. Why is the goat evil, Bernadette? Why? It's a very long story. I guess <laughs> the very short way to say, the short way to say it would be pre-Christianity or pre uh, the conversion of the Roman Empire to Christianity under Constantine, I'm pretty sure. Um, the idea of there being an us and them in religion, I mean, that exists in almost every form of yeah, for sure. of organized religion, but in uh, the West, we kind of view it as there is variations on Christianity, and then there is... Uh, 
or sorry, Judeo-Christian uh, Abrahamic religions, and then there is paganism, and pagan gods included horned goat gods like satyrs and pan, who were historically very randy and got up to all kinds of non-church sanctioned mischief. <laughs> but you know, they're uh, gods of a different pantheon and or I suppose you could say spirits, some of which are friendly, some of which aren't, but they're 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 magical and they're not part of what is considered the accepted structure. So I went way back on here. So we're going to start all the way back at like the concept of esotericism. Uh, you've probably heard the word esoteric applied to people as being kind of weird and outside of a social norm. Western esotericism is basically intellectualist magical thinking. So oh, gosh. Uh, a kind of magical thinking as distinct from mainstream religion You'll see it in history. It's mostly the the kind of third option between science with a capital S, where science is some kind of like hegemony that won't accept new ideas or something rather than being evidence-based. People will say there's science, there's religion, which uh, usually means Abrahamic religion, and then there is everything else, the third option, where you have a bunch of <laughs> Educated, mostly, educated people who say, but no, there was a secret the whole time that you don't understand. There is an ancient wisdom, and if we embrace this ancient wisdom, then we will understand everything. You know, it's that kind of like... There's a, there's a secret second religion underneath the floorboards, and you can't have it. There's this <laughs> one neat trick that priests hate. <laughs> So from there we get into hermeticism. Hermeticism is its own specific branch of That's like related uh, to like Hermes, isn't it? Like that goes into kind of. So it's Greek related is associated with uh vaguely in the sense that it's associated with antiquity. It's it's named after a man named Hermes Trismegistus who is supposed to have been a contemporary of the writers of the Gospels, etc. And uh, his last name, or his title, I suppose you could call it, means thrice great. And that was derived from <laughs> a work called, and this is amazing, called the Emerald Tablet, or the Tabulas Smaragdina, which is a... Extremely fantasy-sounding name, and I love it. Yes, <laughs> A cryptic piece of lore with unattributed author about this dude. And so there's this whole thing of people, quote-unquote, discovering ancient works full of these ancient wisdoms. And, oh, it references this famous person and this famous person, so it must have been contemporary. <laughs> um, and there's this idea that because it's old or lost or whatever... Um, it has all it of these secret great, powers. Yeah. Great and wisdom. It's, yeah. Oh, God. Hermeticism, like all of these, has a codified uh, set of rules and dogma. Um, you might have heard the phrase, so above, so below. Yeah. Oh, I do know. That. Uh, which was uh, something that Isaac Newton believed in. It's the idea that the that at some point, God or some greater being gifted a 
kind of divine wisdom to man and that's the that is that that's associated at least loosely with baphomet right yes the pose yeah the idea people have put it um on pieces of art including baphomet so it's something that people quote a lot especially because isaac newton a quote-unquote man of science said it there's also the phenomena of at a certain point in time uh science is so intertwined with philosophy and with magical thinking um Mm -hmm. in terms of newton and copernicus and even uh, as recently as we've we've talked about how Arthur Conan Doyle, despite being in a, a self-considered intellectualist and an educated man, strongly believed in a lot of spiritualism. Yeah, he was super into theosophy. So, which I feel like is something we're gonna keep coming back to yeah. probably over the next couple episodes. Although weirdly, uh, a lot of the people involved in this movement would probably not be super into that. They see it as kind of Christianity light. Um, yeah, yeah. So Hermeticism has three fundamental parts, which I think you'll find fascinating. There's the idea of the wisdom of alchemy, the wisdom of astrology, and theurgy. So that is, in parts, alchemy, which you could see as a placeholder for science or, like, rational, methodical thought. There's astrology, mm-hmm. study of the stars, study of the celestial, the divine. And then there's theurgy, which is the practicing of ritual magic, of, of piousness, of spirituality, and all of those things together, those three wisdoms are the whole universe. And when you understand that, the world can be perfect. Um, you have to understand that for a very long time, this was associated hand-in-hand hand with science because that kind of magical thinking really appealed to a lot of people. And this was kind of the al- the kind of alternative to being beholden to the Catholic or Christian church or for being like, like it's not, it's still religious. Like these people still yeah. believe 100% in God. And there's this idea of antiquity. And there we go all the way back to this fella named a German physician and counselor to Rudolf II, uh, a Habsburg, uh, Michel Mayer in 1568, wrote something called the Silentium Postclamores, where he established or referenced the existence, referenced the already uh, existing (laughs) in his mind, put all of that in big quotes. He did not in any way say, hey, I had this great idea. It's called this. No, he said, here's a thing that already exists. I'm going to reference it. It's called the Order of the Rosy Cross, uh, I know about this, yeah. Uh, eventually establishing something called uh, Rosicrucianism, which claimed mm-hmm. to follow a primordial tradition of worship and, in general, a, a kind of place that was derived from hermeticism of, of magic and the worship of God in a way that was radical. Were they at all, was Rosicrucianism at all tied to, like, the stonemasons and stuff? Great question! <laughs> uh, because it was 100% tied to that. So, I'm so glad. you'll see Rosicrucianism <laughs> pop up a lot in people of the time. Um, let me get my dates right on this. I feel like it's good to note to our listeners that we don't discuss what we 
have each individually researched because we are trying to form a conversation instead of talking about it beforehand. So when things like that happen, it is very genuine. <laughs> we are genuinely just, we are teaching each other what we've learned and it's kind of exciting. So bring them down. So you know how in um, Assassin's Creed, it's like the Assassins and the Templars have been going back forever. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Throughout history, people have repeatedly... It's only in the age of of easily shared information that this starts to become immediately like, oh, you're full of crap. But you go far <laughs> enough back and there are people who say, the Knights Templars have been working beneath the seams of society for ages. Oh, there was a secretly this Order of the Rosy Cross the whole time and they have the ancient knowledge. And uh, among them were people who eventually went on to found the Freemasons. And so you see a lot early on this idea. Um, uh, Eliphas Levy, born Alphonse Louise Constant, is actually the guy I want to talk about. He lived in France. He was a socialist. Well, he began as a socialist. Uh, he believed in a whole bunch of stuff like spiritualism was really popular at the time and he kind of thought that that was a bit frou-frou and, and and not very scientific in its action but there was this time where there are all of these relatively wealthy intellectuals even people who were part of the nouveau riche or who were starting to find wealth through industry rather mm -hmm. than nobility and you have this kind of perfect storm of you have wealth, you have uh, intellectualism, you have a sense of dissatisfaction with the, uh, with the French aristocracy and a sense of dissatisfaction with the current kind of doctrines or stagnation in the Catholic Church. And you'll see that in, in a lot of things, like people writing about the nature of belief and the nature of worship. Um, but uh, this guy, specifically the reason I want to talk about him, is because he was extremely upset after Napoleon III <laughs> came back because at first he thought, oh, this is great. He's going to restore public order. And then he realized, oh, no, this is, this is a dictatorship. That stinks. That's not <laughs> what I was going for at all. So oh, no. there was a while where he was just kind of sad, but eventually <laughs> he ended up getting really into what we would call nowadays the occult. Again, this is esotericism. This is the idea that there is a kind of knowledge. With that knowledge, you can affect the actual fabric of the world. Um, this goes far as far back all the way as, do you know what the Key of Solomon is? Uh, it sounds familiar, but I don't know if I can tell you what that is. So the Key of Solomon is one of these books of magic and um, mysticism that was quote-unquote discovered uh, to have been written in the hand of Solomon. And it has this really fascinating qualifier. In the Key of Solomon itself, which is kind of one of the most famous books of magic, it says, hey, if you can't do these spells, it's not the books, it's because you don't believe enough or you don't <laughs> love or fear god you're not pious enough it is the fault of an unclean soul etc etc so there's this built-in safety catch of oh it didn't work for you i guess you don't fear god enough i guess you're not oh, pious god. enough so 
you know, there's that kind of self-confirming cycle of people saying, well, you just don't believe. You don't put all of your heart into it. So he was part of this society and ended up writing quite a bit about it. Um, Specifically, he wrote uh, and contributed and drew. There was a lot of this going on, and it's only grown since then. But the idea, this was kind of a intellectual alternative to being part of the regular old old intellectual talk going on because a lot of that was a lot of the uh, scientific and uh, scholarly talk going back this far was influenced by the church like church and religion really went hand in hand and if you wanted to talk about x you needed to talk about y the point is that he eventually did this drawing for uh i'm sorry i'm going to say this wrong dogma et ritual de la Sorry, French. (laughs) And uh, that means the dogma, uh, the dogma of ritual of high magic, or the dogma of high magic, which is a uh, reference book slash spell book slash history book, and it includes a depiction of a horned goat with the... the body of a man and wings seated in a cross-legged position with one hand raised towards a moon and one hand lowered towards a dark moon. Um, This is a really famous depiction of Baphomet. Um, I'm referencing a lot. There is a really excellent paper available online called The Baphomet of of Eliphas Levy, Its Meaning and Historical Context by Julian Strube. Uh, which is available <laughs> through ResearchGate for free. And I totally recommend it. But this kind of book, this like book of monsters or book of devils, has gone back forever. Like the Lesser Key of Solomon, which is a a kind of fun spin-off version of the Key of Solomon, names all of these demons and gives them names. And a lot of the names were borrowed from pagan cultures or pagan belief systems. So basically anything that wasn't Christian was free game to be redressed as a demon and renamed. I believe he is some kind of prince of hell, king of hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Real real evil and big. Um, so, in a short amount of time, Eliphas moved from Roman Catholicism to socialism, got sad, moved into Kabbalistic traditions, and eventually created this really um, influential picture of Baphomet, Although I don't think he was actually labeled as Baphomet. Yeah, he was labeled as Baphomet in that drawing, and people used that in other iterations in other uh, demonology books. Like, Demonology of Sorcerers in 1580 is the oldest one where it, dec- it describes a goat-like uh, a goat-like being being a devil with the head of a goat and the body of a man. Uh, this goes all the way back to the goat of Mendes, which had a bunch of super ignorant ideas about <laughs> oh no <laughs> about pre-christian culture uh, the goat of mendes had the head of a goat body of a man and you know got it on with a bunch of priestesses all the time so that's it the thing is so so many of these are colored through the interpretations of christian scholars so you're never sure oh, what's yeah. like yeah this was yeah. fun and normal or like haha this is the gross thing we could think of they were into goats <laughs> gross 
get a little bit of a, a little bit of a tint to the yeah. stories based on who's written it and stuff. Yeah. And then eventually, at some point, um, it was claimed that the Knights Templar worshipped Baphomet, and therefore they were not properly Christian. Secretly, they're a cult. That's kind of weird, but uh, there's the idea of the Temple of Solomon, the inclusion of magic in Christian ritual, which for hundreds of years was not seen as pagan or Satanist. It was just part yeah, of... Yeah. Solomon did magic, and Solomon was, was the good king. Um, it, it's just a question of ramping up that that degree of extremism, what is and isn't allowed. Anyway, we think yeah, that absolutely. battle battle demon is is very upsetting and bad. Um, and people like Aleister Crowley, who threw giant orgies uh, and believed <laughs> that he was summoning all, or attempted to summon all kinds of demons and elementals, um, it really capitalized on that, got a lot of... Um, rich people to agree with him and uh baphomet hey he's in dungeons and dragons i think we've actually talked about that um, i yeah maybe, i mean we yeah we'll probably reference dungeons and dragons a lot a lot of a lot of uh, popular folklore and, and uh, mythology and things are, are uh, put through a little bit of fantasy lens and and available usually to fight or play as in dungeons and dragons <laughs> like like last uh last episode we talked about the changelings which are also in mm-hmm. A multitude of folklore, as is the the Goat Man and, and uh, Baphomet and all these different things, which I I can talk about a little bit later too, uh, where where the Goat Man has appeared in pop culture. It's very exciting. Yeah, you know, shockingly, it's very hard to find, at least on the internet. I'm sure if you were a cool person who went to libraries, you would be able <laughs> to find plenty of. Actually, you'd still probably find a lot of um, quote unquote in universe writing. Um, it's really hard to find uh, a secular writing on Baphomet. Oh, interesting. Not in the sense of uh, I'm including secular as as um, as completely a religious or a a spiritual. Um, it's actually surprisingly hard to find things on Baphomet that is completely completely devoid of any of that, especially given the, uh, in my opinion, pretty funny. Uh, move by the Church of Satan in Oklahoma to erect a <laughs> eight and a half foot tall statue of Baphomet because they uh, the state capitol had insisted on erecting a monument of the Ten Commandments. And guess what? <laughs> You're allowed to have both. Of course, the Supreme Court of Oklahoma then declared all religious displays illegal. <laughs> but it's a really excellent statue, and you should definitely see it. It is... Uh, a pretty direct recreation of the picture by Levy. Um, it has him have, he has one hand raised, one hand lowered. He has the kind of crown of fire. There is Oh, I did, a, co- I did come across this. I looked it up. I did come across this uh, sculpture when I was looking at stuff. Two children looking up adoringly at him. He's got his little goatee, goatee hooves crossed. Uh, there is also a kind of fun literary tradition of in stories where the devil appears sometimes he can't change his feet so he's just (laughs) walking around on goat feet and he can't put on normal shoes (laughs) Uh, but I think it's a pretty great great way to exercise uh, the separation of church and state by saying hey here's our dude look at him he's got a rad goat head check him out and wings (laughs) and he's friendly yeah 
there is really a lot going on in this sculpture. If you have a, a, a minute, if you're not driving or anything, to look up this sculpture, it's pretty, there is, there is a lot happening. It's a good sculpture. It's really interesting, too. It's a very good sculpture. It puts me in mind of, um, of, I was about to say Sexy Satan, that's not what it's called. It's the, the statue of Lucifer that was taken down for being, um, oh, the Genie du Mal, the statue of Lucifer that was, uh, there was one taken down for being excessively beautiful, and then the oh, yeah, sculptor's yeah. <laughs> brother made one that was even, even hotter under the collar. Yeah, yep, yep. Just to be contradictory. And it just Very puts me good. in mind of, it's classically speaking, a really well-done sculpture mm-hmm. of a cool goat man. Yeah, this, this seriously though, like, for those of you, if you aren't looking at this a photo of this, there is the, the, a man shirtless with a goat head, big horns, a flame in between. What is is that the satanic, what is the symbol behind him? Do you know what it's called? Uh, the pentagram? The pentagram? That kind of thing. In the name. Yeah, there's a pentagram behind him. He's got wings. There's a caduceus on his stomach. He's got hairy goat legs, and there are two children looking up at him lovingly while he has one hand up and one hand down with two fingers on each. Uh, it's a, it, There's a lot. There's a lot happening. Yeah. It's very cool. It's really fascinating to read the commentary on it by major news outlets because there's such a a incredulity at the idea that <laughs> one group should be should have the gall to erect a religious symbol that clearly shows uh the appeal of of their their aspect to to the general public how they would dare in in a general place like the the absurdity and it really does drive home the extremity to which people feel uh, strongly about this visage and how strongly yeah. they feel like this is wrong and bad and it's mm-hmm. I think it's funny yeah I did I did actually a little bit of reading about Baphomet while I was looking stuff up um isn't he supposed to be like like everything about him is supposed to be contradictory like half man half he, like human like the the duality of good and evil like up and down and even though he's posed in the levy drawing he is kind of doing a scales of justice thing between night and day and good and evil encompassing all things yeah and he's supposed to i think about this sculpture specifically i did read that like baphomet is supposed to be all those things man animal whatever but also man and woman and in traditional i guess depictions of him he has like breasts right but they didn't want they uh, didn't want to deal with that in this sculpture so they just put the yeah they didn't they were worried like oh i think it was something about how like they didn't want oh they want didn't want to get dinged for obscenity uh uh, yeah and they didn't want that to be the focus of gender they wanted to the duality of of male and female comes in with the two children that's that's that was their good thing and the livy drawing um baphomet is depicted with breasts like full breasts yeah I don't know why. Mm. I mean, I do understand why they wanted to make a point and not get dinged for the lesser crime of showing boobs, which, by the way, <laughs> are not obscene. No, that well, that that's one thing I, I didn't. It, uh, what I read didn't say that that's what they were going for. It was specifically because they didn't want to talk about people to talk about the gender and that to be the focus of it. They wanted it to be the duality, so they nixed that specifically so that they wouldn't have to have, like people wouldn't be 
jabbing at them for like the gender discourse it was specifically so that's why the kids are there is they removed the boobs and put in children (laughs) but it makes sense from a a public relations standpoint of wanting to keep the statue up for the right reasons that's fair yeah but it is yeah there's a lot there's a lot happening it's a very very interesting isn't america goofy statue to look at it yeah it's unfortunate (laughs) So right about now, I'm being brought up to the modern day in terms of, of people using the goat man in occult symbology. It's used in, on album covers and t-shirts. You know, looking rad. Yeah. It is actually, it is a very cool, a very cool symbol. There's a lot of, um, like I said earlier, there's a lot of like being brought into pop culture and things. And actually, I'm going to I'm gonna read through my, my uh, bullets of, of where it where it appears in pop culture presently, and then we'll get back into um, the uh, the stories of around the U.S. Um, but in pop culture, as we said, a lot of these things carry over. Uh, there is uh, a goat man appears in an issue of the X Files comic book called The Face of Extinction. There's an issue of, Hell- of the Hellboy comic called Love Is Scarier Than Death that involves a goat man. It appears in a found footage horror film uh, called Jimmy Tupper versus the Goat Man of Bowie which I did a little bit of reading about, and I probably should have done some more because it was kind of interesting. Um, and there was an episode of Creepy Canada that had that talked Aww. about the goat man in 2006. There's an episode of Animal X. Uh, he was featured on uh, the podcast The Adventure Zone <gasps> during the Amnesty arc. There's a goat man. He's also in the 2017 indie game titled Do You Copy? Uh, he appears in the Sagas of Sundry Dread series on Geek and Sundry. And oh, hey, there... right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, which was actually one of the reasons I thought about this might be a cool cool topic to talk about. Uh, and then the last one I have is in the BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural Season 4, uh, Ryan and Shane claimed the Goat Man's bridge as their own. Oh yeah, is that the one where Shane shouts at the Goat Man? Yeah, lot? yeah. So the thing is, I've only seen that scene of that episode. That's the only episode, only scene I've ever seen of that show. I was going re- to watch it for this and didn't get the chance. And I was like, reading that, I was like, oh my god, that's the <laughs> the only bit of the show that I've seen is this one that the Wikipedia article references. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, the goat man or half goat, half human creatures appear in a lot of different um, media and uh, in different genres across like all things. And it's it's pretty popular now, like I said, since cryptids are kind of a hot commodity at the moment. What is it, zeitgeist? Is that the word? Uh, they're in the zeitgeist. In the zeitgeist, Gonna be yeah. in Fallout 76 where you'll get to kiss them probably. <laughs> It's a big goat. It is a big goat man. Goat uh, so I'm gonna <laughs> get getting back into uh, a few more modern uh, discussions of the goat man. Dr. Barry Pearson, who I read a little bit about as a folklorist at uh, the University of Maryland, he talks about the goat man in uh, there are a couple different things that he he talks about. But he says that whenever he uh, teaches it to his class if he brings up the goat man everyone knows what he's talking about like it's that common of a thing yeah uh the goat man legends according to him began like a long 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 time ago uh, and got pretty popular they were popularized uh much higher than than they had been before in 1971 i believe when a dog died and was blamed on the goat man by local residents this dog was found like decapitated and on the side of the road and it was yeah kind of uh kind of bad uh but there was 
uh, the 16 year old daughter of this family had heard strange sounds and claimed to have seen like a large creature on the night that the dog had disappeared um and it also is often reported that sightings of an animal-like creature that walks on its hind legs were kind of increasing increasing along Fletchertown Road. This this doctor of, of folklore kind of has talked about how bored teenagers keep the Goatman legend alive by kind of oh, repeating yeah. the story and suggesting it. Uh, and people, this is this is back on the creature attacks couples frequently frequenting like Lovers Lane and things like that. Um, and Fletchertown Road has kind of become like a Goatman hunting site, like quote unquote hunting like but people go out to try to find and see and see this this creature it's been described specifically in Fletchertown Road as a six six feet tall walked on two feet and was hairy and it made according to one one witness a high-pitched sound like a squeal the Prince George County Police are also quoted in saying that uh, the legend of the Goatman just kind of gets passed on from generation to generation, which, you know, is common with all things, but, like, the teens kind of keep it up, like Pearson had said. Dr. Barry Pearson thinks that the legend of the Goatman might have been influenced by car culture in the 60s and 70s oh. because teens had such freedom, yeah. Um, teens? Which I, getting wild. Teens? I know. I will probably... I will bring this up a little bit later when we talk about the Poplick monster because this is kind of like the intro to that film I was telling you about. It kind of, but with the, with car culture, like you have a car and you can go and like a lot of there's a lot of like do what you will. You're a yeah, team. Yeah, it, <laughs> it really it, considering that for about two hundred years, if you wanted to hang out with someone of the opposite gender, you had to be in their parlor with a uh, chaperone or at a agreed upon function. Instead, you can just yeah. go out into the woods and get necking. Hunt goats, or get hunted by goats in this in this circumstance. Um, uh, and more of uh, what Barry uh, Pearson has talked about goes on to be like, it's probably also tied to what students were learning about Greek culture. Uh, like the half-man, half-goat god Pan, and satyrs, yeah. which we'll also talk about later. But that might be also uh, attributing to the reoccurring of of this myth and why it why it kind of lingers in the teen consciousness <laughs> um teens newspaper are into horny goats they are uh newspaper accounts kind of helped because they would uh report these things and so the myth and legend would continue on um so were these like like scratching on the door and then people dead in their cars or were these like we saw a creepy thing off the side of the highway this one, um, in Maryland specifically, we will get to the scratching at the car. I believe that one is more in California, but uh, that's where the, the the story I have is from. But in uh, these these Marylands around along in Maryland along like the Fletchertown Road stories specifically seem to be more sightings. Um, you hear it, you would hear these sounds, or like I said, the dead animals showing up, the decapitated dog, and other unsavory things like that if we get into uh texas the lake worth monster um is a scaly version of the goat man <laughs> it's described as part man part goat but also i thought you scaly. were saying that he was perhaps just perhaps into dressing up like a lizard <laughs> maybe who knows uh but this one was it's a, a semi-aquatic version of the goat man i suppose all right um, but this this one has said to have been seen in lake worth just outside of fort worth um in i believe i want to say 1969 the summer of 1969 mm. um the reports of the sighting 
were quote unquote a half man half goat with fur and scales which led to the belief that a mysterious creature lived in 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 this lake um the newspaper oh, reported cool. sightings yeah yeah newspaper again with the newspapers reporting these sightings which kind of perpetuated this lingering creature in people's minds um there was one newspaper report in which the monster landed on a man's car Whoa. after jumping out of a tree like just like from the sky three point landing probably on the hood of the car uh, there was another report there where it threw like a tire, like a car tire at a group of people. I don't know where that one took place, uh, but there was another, the newspaper published a photograph of the creature. Uh, and then there was a local police investigation about these claims, but they never really found any evidence of the monster in the Lake Worth or Greer Island area. But after a while, I think this was talking about, this was uh, like 40 years later, there was a uh, more articles and more people talking about it um, a lot of people obviously thought it was a hoax but this is i found this interesting including a man named alan plaster who took the photograph who supposedly took this photograph he also believed it was a hoax so this guy went oh. out took a photograph of something and also still thinks that it wasn't real like that's really weird so this one this one was really intriguing to me because it wasn't just like someone like staging photographs. It was someone staging like encounters with unwitting folks, supposedly, uh, if they all thought it was fake. But this this one, uh, uh, they they figured that because the reports and the incidents kind of stopped when school started, that it was a good <laughs> indication that these were pranks kind of by high school students who had to go back to school. However, in 2005, uh, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram received an anonymous letter that uh, had said from who someone who said they were one of three high school students in the summer of 1969 who decided, quote, quote, decided to go out to Lake Worth and scare people. Ah, um, They were using, supposedly using a tinfoil mask, which is pretty uh, intuitive. Like, that's that's some ingenuity there. Make some, make some masks out of tinfoil. Um, I craft skills. Uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Uh, in 2009, uh, Fort Worth, Texas Magazine published a report about an unidentified man who said he had been the perpetrator of the tire-throwing incident that was mentioned <laughs> earlier. <laughs> you gotta be pretty str I mean, I guess it could have been like a very small like bicycle tire, but I mean if you if it doesn't have like if you throw. can get like yeah, if you can like lock your hands underneath it and get some momentum going up it you could lob a tire. It's a reason like CrossFit people do that for That's exercise. true. That's true. Maybe our maybe the Goatman does CrossFit. Um but since two thousand nine, which was the fortieth anniversary of these these sightings in this summer of this like high activity of the goat man um the fort worth nature center and refuge has held a lake worth monster bash every october so around the time when this episode comes out if you are near fort worth uh in uh texas go check it out go check out the the lake worth monster bash that yeah. sounds like a good time uh, moving over to california they have the proctor valley monster which is said to be a seven foot tall uh, in what they used in the article was deranged cow. <laughs> 
so um, this one people are a lot more keen on because there's a lot more evidence supposedly for the goat man's existence with this one, uh, including a footprint. Uh, hoof but this, print? Uh, hoof print, I would assume. Yeah, hoof print. Uh, this one is described as a seven-foot-tall hairy humanoid, um, like a Bigfoot or sometimes a cow-like animal, but uh, with its body parts in the wrong place, is what the article said. And I don't know what specifically that entails, um, but that's a little unsettling. It's got but its feet where its hand should be and hands where feet should be? I guess so. Then it'd be handprints, I suppose, in the ground that they'd find. Unfortunate. Because otherwise it'd just be a minotaur, right? Yeah, that's what, I don't know, this one seems, I guess, more bovine in nature as opposed to goat-like, but uh, it's still considered a goat man, so, uh, but this one is thought to be responsible for a lot of livestock mutilations, which is gross and sad. The Bonita Museum in Chula Vista has a casting of strange footprints that they thought might be that of the monster. These, all these stories are pretty much like it very much in line with the Goatman stories. This is mm-hmm. the one that I was telling you that the article I was reading it from uh, called it just right for a Hollywood B movie. <laughs> um, but basically these stories are uh, the one that I found was a, a teenage couple kind of goes out on a drive, like we mentioned um, near Proctor Valley road. I believe it had said probably go out, to make out or hang out or whatever you do as teens (laughs) but the car gets stopped either uh they have a something is wrong with the tire they blow a tire out the car won't start they're out of gas whatever it is um and the boyfriend gets out to go investigate and never comes back um the girl stays inside the car because it's the middle of the night and it's horrifying And being a teenage girl, you you don't leave your car in the middle. Like, you don't. So she stays inside absolutely horrified, locked in the car, because she hears this scratching sound uh, on the outside of the car. Uh, the next day, the police find her still in the car, still hiding. Um, and they she tells them what happened, whatever. And the boyfriend is found dead, torn to shreds bloody dangling from a tree uh and the scratching sound had been his hands brushing against the car producing these horrible scratching noises oh pretty um, uh that that trope comes up a lot in like uh, i think the hook the hook man the man with yeah. the hook hand it's the his feet brushing against the top of the he car the car yeah uh, and there are versions of stories that are all similar to this. This isn't any sort of, I don't think, specific one, but it's kind of an amalgam of many. And there are versions where mysterious huge footprints are found along the side of the car. And ugh. So is he, does he have like a, a mammal, a humanish foot, or does he have an equine, or that not equine, it, uh, bovine? Yeah, that is up to the story. It varies. Um, there are some where it's the top half is the goat man or there are some where it's more satyr like where the bottom half is the goat man or it's an amalgam um a man with horns oh yeah left half right half yeah left half right half yeah (laughs) but there are a lot of a lot of different versions of this um there was uh, a doctor or a psychiatrist or a therapist or uh, someone who lived in the alpine area uh who quite like very seriously said to have seen a Bigfoot-type creature near his house, like up in the hills. 
but this this doctor has since uh left the limelight uh, to, uh insinu- like insisting he wants to write his own story of the events which i was not able to find anything so i don't know if he's actually done that or not um but there were accounts of friends or people he had told who said that he described a seven or six or seven foot tall hairy creature accompanied by two smaller creatures um <gasps> Which I wasn't able to figure out what that was in reference to, or if... His best friends, who were... His best friends. <laughs> Some groupies. Yeah. <laughs> or just normal goats. <laughs> Goat man, but this... two normal goats. Perfect. I'm a fan of that. Uh, this This guy did, however, make a plaster cast of a footprint that was 16 inches long and 8 inches wide, so that doesn't seem very bovine to me. He also talked about a lot of strange happenings and weird things happening around his house in the hills. Um, Park rangers and investigators around this specific one couldn't really confirm, uh, but plenty of campers in the areas or residents or uh, I guess even the sheriff's deputy uh, to this area claims that they have seen some sort of large, uh, quote, hairy thing tromping the hills of the alpine uh, there was an investigator investigation into big the bigfoot phenomena uh, that notes that the nearby uh native people have a legend of a similar creature i think it's the yehas people i don't i i believe that was it uh had of a similar creature that guards their burial grounds so that's, that's another yeah and now we get to the poplick monster in Kentucky. And this has quite a bit of there's a lot. There's a lot going on with the Popelick monster and uh there's I'm pretty excited. This is um another part man part goat, part sheep maybe creature that uh, appears as a human goat hybrid with a uh quote unquote uh, quote grotesquely deformed body of a man. Judgmental. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it has uh fur covered goat legs, um, and uh a, f- a face of like that's pale, pale white, uh alabaster skinned, it was said and Are we talking like a vampire or like a grub? I don't know. It just says alabaster skinned face. And it ha- uh, they say he has an aquiline Aquiline. Nose? It means Aquiline? like a Roman nose. Oh, okay. Aquiline nose and wide set eyes. Um, and then it has short horns, sharp, short horns from his forehead, uh, and long greasy hair that's matched by the fur, the color of the fur on his legs. Um, and this one specifically has a location like under the Norfolk Southern Railroad trestle over Floyd's Fork Creek in the Fisherville area of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and it's named after the Popelick Creek, which is below the, this trestle. There are a lot of urban legends that exist about this creature's origin and, like, the different ways that it claims its victims. And, uh, there's versions where it uses hypnosis. Um, there's versions where it uses voice mimicry. Uh, but its goal is to lure trespassers or other people, uh, onto the trestle of this bridge to meet their death. Oh, man. To the force of an oncoming train. Um, there is a lot of stories that claim that the monster jumps down uh, onto the roofs of cars passing beneath it. So another jumping onto car story. Um, and there are other legends that says that it attacks its victims with a bloodstained axe. So we get back to the Maryland uh, creature. And it's 
There's also a lot of reports that the very side of the creature is so unsettling that if you see it while you're walking across the trestle, in the dark you are immediately driven to leap off to your death. Oh no. Yeah, these are uh, unfortunate ends to meet. So is the trestle still in the use? Yes, it is, and I will get to that. It is uh, kind of, there are some unfortunate stories with this trestle. Uh, there are other legends or versions of the story that say that the monster is a human goat hybrid or it was a a circus freak who vowed revenge after being mistreated there's a version that the monster escaped after a train derailed on the trestle um there's another version that the monster is just the twisted reincarnated form of a farmer who used to sacrifice goats to get satanic powers oh yeah so yeah, the legend have really turned this site. It's a hot spot for like legend tripping and and uh, mythology buffs and cryptid hunters to check this out. Um, but uh, unfortunately, there have been a lot of deaths and accidents on the trestle since it was constructed. Um, despite the presence of a huge fence, I think it's like nine feet, eight or nine feet tall, to try to keep people out. Um, the common misconception, like you had brought up, the trestle is in use it is not abandoned um it carries major rail it's a major rail artery into louisville um heavy freight trains cross the bridge like multiple times a day so it's pretty easy to get caught on top of it if a train was coming at you um and the norfolk southern railway urges citizens not to climb the trestle uh and just yeah heads up if anyone is thinking about this don't climb the trestle you will be arrested like that is yeah that is a genuine genuine danger this is genuinely dangerous do not try to go check this out i mean people can go look you want to go look at it great go look at don't climb this trestle bring binoculars do not climb this thing the goat man i like specifically in the pope like monster version uh was the subject of a 1988 film by louisville filmmaker ron schildnecht I believe I'm saying his name correctly, called The Legend of the Public Monster. It is a 16-minute film. It cost about $6,000 to make, and most of the film was fought, uh, shot at the public trestle, but the scenes showing the characters like up on it were shot at right. a safer location. So I went to try to watch this film. I had to buy the DVD, so I did not do that. Um, but there is a... Uh, if you Google Google's name... Uh, Ron Schildnecht, S-C-H-I-L-D-K-N-E-C-T, and The Legend of the Public Monster, you will find his website, and there is a trailer, which I don't know if I would be, I don't think I can air it on on this, but uh, it's uh, like 30 seconds to a minute long, and it's pretty goofy. It shows, again, in the uh, 80s, kids in cars having freedom they're kind of joking around about the public monster you've never heard have you been living under a rock like that's the that's a genuinely a line in it i'll give you some exposition i know i really want to watch this film now so maybe you and i will watch it and report back later but uh this is what is written on the website uh probably i believe this is what's on the back of the case if you buy the film um i'm gonna i'm gonna read this to you you can find this at ronshieldnick.com forward slash films forward slash public monster um, so here it's here it goes. A monster, a hideous half-man, half-sheep mutation whose hypnotic powers are so intense that he lures you out onto the tracks and into his eyes. Such stories are that have captured the imaginations of Louisville teenagers for three generations. Stories that have lured youths to the Pope-like trestle in search of a dare, a thrill, a place to drink, an opportunity to scare a date or a friend. A legend kept alive only by word of mouth, confirmed by the excitable, incredulous minds of adolescents and empty 
emphasized by the ominous presence of a hundred-foot-high railroad trestle. One crisp October evening finds Clancy, Ben, and Katie on a quest for excitement, for beer, for danger, and for a rendezvous with the Sheep Man. And then it's a DVD, 16 minutes long, black and white, Germantown films. Um, I'm also going to quickly go to the website because this person has these... Um, like, you know how people be like, this, like, whatever, talk, like, quotes about the film from prominent, prominent like, people mm-hmm. and, and sites? <laughs> so these are the quotes that this uh, man has up on his site about his film. It undermines our efforts on behalf of safety when movies like this are made. Spokesman for Norfolk Southern Corps. <laughs> I think it sends the wrong message. The more I see the film, the more I'm convinced of that. Attorney for Norfolk <laughs> Southern Court. Yeah. It seems like they were having fun there the way they were cavorting around a brown school sophomore. <laughs> it's just not real life. It's about as real as the guns and violence you see on TV. A spokesman for Norfolk Southern Court. And those are all on the website. <laughs> like for like as a promotional for this for this uh film. Amazing. Um, the the uh cover is amazing. It's great. It's this sort of like blurry hazy photo of this trestle with this very old school legend the pope lake monster uh on the front it's pretty good uh, if you want to look it up this this site has all the information about it it's digitally remastered motion picture 20th anniversary edition it's great but uh, like i like those uh, uh quotes insinuated the norfolk southern railroad officials were extremely upset about this film uh, they thought it was going to encourage teenagers to visit the trestles, which it, it did, unfortunately. Um, one scene in the film is they, uh, our quote is saying, is dangerously misleading because uh, in the scene, the main character, who is a high school student, barely, barely escapes an approaching train by hanging off the side of the trestle when uh, in reality, you're not going to really have the strength to oh, hold no. on for the five or seven minutes but that it, it would take movies. for a train. It works in movies, but not in real life. Actually, I addendum on that. I'll get back to that in a second. Um, but the, it's a 772-foot trestle, and the train will go by for several minutes. Uh, but the vibrations of the train would most likely knock an average person off to the ground. Uh, again, this 100-or-so-foot trestle. But because railroad officials were so worried that this was going to add to the death toll, Norfolk Southern issued a statement that they read at the premiere of this film, uh, which warned you how dangerous it was and that you anyone caught was going to be arrested if you were trespassing. Um, but despite the warnings, uh, in 2016, the spring of 2016, a 26-year-old tourist from Ohio died after being hit by a train while they were looking for the monster. Um, her boyfriend survived by, like I said, here's the addendum, he did hang off of the edge of the trestle and survived. Oh, but- but oh. his girlfriend did die oh. on up on the train tracks, which is unfortunate. That is um, a bummer. Yeah, it's uh, kind of unfortunate, but it, it this story is a little gruesome. But there's a lot. You can look real hard into a lot of these uh, these stories. This was actually, uh, this specific, the Pope Lake Monster, was featured on an episode of Destination America's Monsters and Mysteries in America. I think the episode was titled Ozarks or something like that. But if you want to look more into this, there's a lot. You can fall down such a hole with pretty much anything we research. But, like, the Goatman has so many iterations. And I'm sure there's more that I missed, but I just I focused on these few. But uh, supposedly, one of the things I found is that the Goatman isn't, even though, like, the popularity is within the past, like, 40 or 50 years has not is not a new phenomenon 
Um, and this is why I, I want to bring us back to, like you were talking about earlier, like satyrs or uh, the half goat god demons pan hopping around demons yeah so uh satyrs of greek mythology which i'm sure most folks have some familiarity with have uh are pretty similar now we think of them as separate entities but i mean they could have some relation they like to party they do like to party they're a, a nature spirit um with ears and a tail resembling a horse or a goat uh and then legs of a goat atop the a half of a top half of a man. Um, a lot of artistic representation of satyrs include horse-like legs. But by the sixth century, I think sixth century BC, they were kind of more represented with human legs, and they were just kind of their own their own thing. But uh, lovers of wine, Mister Tumnus, yeah, yeah, was, but like really boozy and a little sketchy. Yeah, but, yeah associated with Dionysus and. Uh, they're known as lovers of wine, music, dancing, women, champions of the god Dionysus. Um, they were believed to inhabit remote locales such as woodlands, mountains, and pastures, which still lines up with the with the Goatman sort of thing. These were a little bit less of the on the dangerous side, yeah. um, whereas Goatman seems very malicious, whereas satyrs were more mischievous and fun loving. Well, you gotta um, have a good, good, real like dark story, I think. As a, as yeah, a cryptid. absolutely. Um, you're from no- the northern Midwest, too. I'm sure you're familiar with the idea of, like, goats on top of houses and stuff. Oh, oh, uh, how about try goats on my on cars at my house all the yeah. time? Uh, I grew up with goats, and my mom... See that in the dark. Yeah, it's spooky. It's not great. Um, I will say, though, on a more lighthearted note, growing up, we had 11 goats. And they were pygmy goats, so they were little, but they could jump so high. They could jump so high, and my mom would, like, if they would get out of their, their enclosure, their field enclosure, my mom's, like, clients would, like, leave the, my mom's <laughs> office, and there would be goats on their car, like, pooping on their car. They love being up on stuff. They do, especially, I feel like, pygmy goats just like to be tall. Like, yeah, they were cute animals, but, boy, they had... A lot, a lot of uh, shenanigans to ensue. So, I can I can understand where like satyrs are similar to the personality of goats, but I don't. Like, goats are just so so dinky. I didn't have fainting goats, but they're pretty funny too. But in in relation to the goat man, the goat man is very creepy. I think some of the creep factor comes from the uh, horizontal pupils. Yeah, which yeah, by yeah, the way, unsettling. Are technically, I think they're W shaped, right? They they. Uh, are different kind of light pools than ours. Um, yeah, it's something to that to that effect. The way they, uh, they the way they take in visual information. But yeah, they're cool and they'll they're really nice to feed. And I am very sad that the <laughs> Henry Vilas Petting Zoo is no longer open. It was entirely <laughs> goats. Oh, well, I I do enjoy goats. <laughs> uh, there are other uh, stories uh, from some of the. Uh, reference to mythology in in different places there were uh there are lots of animal hybrid creatures that appear in scottish folklore mythology celtic slavic uh indian etc mythology they appear in multiple locations Uh, the ancient celts had a hairy demon demons who appeared to occasionally take human form and seduce more women later figures in celtic folklore uh would be like had like a part human part goat and there were records that Illyrians believed that in uh, satyr-like creatures. 
Uh, the Slavic have a creature that has similar similarities to satyrs, described as being covered in hair and having goat's horns, uh, ears and feet with like long claw-like fingernails, which is kind of spooky. But yeah, this 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 iconography, like we said, going back with uh, Baphomet and uh, that sort of imagery to satyrs, to Pan, to all of these creatures that show up in other other uh, mythology, folklore that sort of thing it's common it's not it's not an uncommon visual to to have in in different different stories because horns are cool and there just aren't that many animals that have them and we want to put that's them on true. things do you think that's the appeal of tieflings in dungeons and dragons yes i think that is <laughs> absolutely every tiefling to... i've ever met has been very attractive and very troubled <laughs> ain't that the truth Oh man, well, I don't, do you have any other, any other things? That's all I've got. No, um, if you, I can actually have a, uh, got a book recommendation that I, I read Absolutely. through while I, I did this. I can't, I am not versed enough in the, uh, in the kind of literature of Esoterica to tell you how, uh, complete a book this is. I'm kind of, my history is more in, in art history classes and stuff like that. <laughs> But uh, I, I read parts of this book, The Myth of Disenchantment, Magic Modernity, and the Birth of the Human Sciences by Jason A. Josephson Storm, who does take a kind of like um, a slightly adversarial approach to science, but not really, um, kind of just an adversarial approach to the kind of rich culture of people like, oh, what's his name? I always purposefully forget his name because I hate him. Uh <laughs> The, I would say the kind of uh, scientific establishment, he takes a little bit of an adversarial approach to it, but overall I, I recommend it. It has some really good history in it. Absolutely. Like pretty much every every topic we're going to bring up, there is so much more you could dive into uh, and research, and we only covered uh, a few things. You can always do your own, do your own digging, do your own reading, and find find cool stuff that even we missed, so... That's pretty, pretty cool. That even we, the best researchers <laughs> in the world, miss. Your favorite amateurs are here. Yeah, if anything comes your way that you think, I'd like to hear these two weirdos talk about it, send it to us. Please feel free. Yeah, absolutely. Please feel free to send us cool things that you found. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Stone Houses. Our next episode should go up on Monday, October 29th. I believe, is the next Monday after this one goes up. That's the third spookiest day of the year. It is. It is so close. Be be prepared for another spooky episode. We've got it planned out, and we're, we're pretty excited to, to talk about it. I'm very excited for, the, for our next topic, so I, I hope you all enjoy it. Um, oh, before we conclude things, I also want to mention something really quick that uh, we forgot to say in our first episode. I want to shout out to my lovely co-host for creating our Rad as Heck album art. Uh, our own little stone house, and it's adorable, and I love it. They made it uh, specifically you. for us, and it's it's really lovely, and I love it, and I wanted I'm to shout that out like at least it. once. It's so great. Um, but you can find us on Twitter at StoneHousesCast. Uh, you can find me at BruderCaitlin, B-R-U-D-E-R-K-A-I-T-L-I-N. You can find me at Bernadette Meek, which is Bernadette Meek without the R, because Bernadette Meeker was too long. Um, if you enjoyed what you heard uh, please share our show with a friend Uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes it really means a lot to us uh, but it also tells iTunes and other podcast hosting sites that hey we might be worth a listen and they're more likely to show our show to more potential listeners Well, thank you so much for joining us this has been Stone Houses an amateur guide to fiction, fable, and folklore I'm LB Meeker 
And I'm Caitlin Bruder. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye!